Hey everyone, welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. What a day it is in Sens Nation. We'll talk about it in a moment. First, this word from our sponsor, reignite your love for driving with a new Ford from Jim K. Ford. Take a test drive today and see all of the latest innovations available for new Ford vehicles. At Jim K. Ford, you can also custom order your next Ford vehicle to ensure you get the exact vehicle you want at the right time. And get a factory order bonus right now on select new Ford models at Jim K. Ford. Uville Drive in Orleans or JimKFord.com. In the player category, five individuals were elected. The Hockey Hall of Fame is pleased to welcome Daniel Alfredson. What? This finally happened. Former Senator Captain Daniel Alfredson going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mike Gartner with the announcement from the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee today. Wow. Will wonders never cease? They finally got it together. And Hockey Hall of Famer Daniel, that's a good ring to it. That has a really good ring to it. Hockey Hall of Famer Daniel Offertson going in with Roberto Luongo, the two Sedin twins, Enrique Salonen. And oh, by the way, they also had the Stanley Cup final. Stanley Cup was awarded last night as well. It's all still ahead today here on the Sens Nation podcast. It's brought to you by Jim K. Ford. Greg, how are things with you today? Things are good, Steve. I got one right. I called it. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yep, you, sh- you surely did. Well, you, you called it too. Did. Are you going to share with your listeners? I don't know that I should, but maybe I will. <laughs> so we're getting. So basically, it was obviously going to be the biggest story in Ottawa among sports fans. So on the other podcast I do, the Steve Warren Project or the SWP uh, that I do with Jim Jerome, um, we could only record today at about two o'clock. And I said, you know what? Greg was pretty confident. I'm pretty <laughs> confident that Daniel Alfredson's going to get in. So we did the show. An hour before the announcement, with the assumption that Alfie got in. Had he not gotten in, uh, I don't know what I would have done. Exactly, yeah, there is uh, no show today. <laughs> yeah, well, I may have called you up to fill in for Jimmy because we'd have to almost do the whole thing brand new. But uh, I was 50-50. You were confident. And sure enough, uh, Lanny McDonald and Mike Gartner, the two committee members, they made the call this afternoon to Daniel Offertz. And he's actually in Sweden right now. And he sounded like he was kind of, 50 50 kind of joked that he thought the call was from his insurance company this is what the call sounded like today this is courtesy of the hockey hall of fame daniel it's uh, lanny and mike gardner uh so if it wasn't the hall of fame were you not going to take the call i'm kidding <laughs> i thought it was my insurance company no i'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> we are here to let you know that you have been selected for induction into the class of 2022 for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I can't tell you how much this means, uh, not just to me, but to uh, to the city of Ottawa as well. And uh, uh, I thought there might be a chance that this would happen, but at the same time, I thought there might be a chance that it wouldn't happen. So uh, obviously, I want to thank you guys and the whole committee that uh, you voted for me to get in, and uh, I'm truly humbled and honored. So a bit of disbelief there from Daniel Offertson, again, that clip courtesy of the Hockey Hall of Fame, in that uh, I guess his wife, Bibi, answered the phone initially, 
And Lanny McDonald then said, you know, did you uh, maybe not know that it was the Hockey Hall of Fame? And because uh, you know, if you did, you yeah. wouldn't have your wife answer. You'd probably pick it up. And he goes, oh, I just thought it might be the insurance company. Kidding, kidding, kidding. <laughs> but he did talk about, Greg, how it's not just big for him and his family, but it's big for the city of Ottawa as mm-hmm. well. And I think that's that's a pretty true statement for a fan base that has been kind of beaten up in these last five years. Yeah, and it's like just not just the city, but for the franchise itself. Like, uh, I mean, Marion Hosa went in, but doesn't really go in of people thinking of him as an Ottawa senator. Like, this is the first right. true Ottawa senator to go in the Hall of Fame in who knows how many years. You'd have to go way back to some of the early the early incarnation of the Ottawa senators. I mean, it's a great thing. And good on Alfie. He's probably got scars on his tongue from biting it. Good on him for not saying, well, gee, Lanny, thanks. It's about freaking time, buddy. <laughs> he, showed, he showed his class. Yeah, he. he I, I'd say he and Dominic Hasek, I think, are the only guys who've worn the Senator crest that went into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Maybe there's others, but those are the only two that pop to mind. But no one acknowledges particularly Hasek. But uh, even Hosa, not exactly a Sens lifer the way Alfredson is. Mm. Alfie played 17 of his 18 years in Ottawa, captained the team for 13. So this is a really, in the modern-day history... He's really the first guy who made his t- his name entirely with the Ottawa Senators and and then was named to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So that's that's what makes this one truly special. Like I have to explain that to anybody listening to the Sens Nation <laughs> podcast. So what do you think the holdup was? Why did it he started being eligible in 2017? What do you think the biggest reason was that it took this long for Daniel Offertson to get the honor he was due? God, jeez. Like I don't know, why does it take this long? What was the big deal? I still think he he's going in with people that to me he's ahead of the he's ahead of Roberto Luongo in my mind and he's ahead of uh, he's ahead of at least one Sedin if not both of them I, I I don't understand why it took so long um, let's give some credit to the boys that started up the the praise Alfie Alfie to the Hall campaign maybe they maybe they came through for it I mean it's it's nice to see I know there's been a changeover in the uh, in the people on the committee maybe that had something to do with it like let's face it depending on your age. Uh, if you are older, you may not necessarily be thinking about a Daniel Alfredson. Like maybe you're still thinking about a Doug Wilson or a, you know, a Guy Carboneau. You're thinking of the older players from your from your days. So, whatever the reason was, uh, let's not question it. Let's just say, hey, it's about time. Yeah, I think, um, and I don't mind questioning it. It's fine. I, okay, I, then I, let's mean, do I it think then. it's. Yeah, no, I, I just yeah, <laughs> just to get my two cents in on what the holdup was. Um, I think the perception is that being in a smaller market. And I think that worked against them a little bit. Like even today with all the push we talk about right now, you've got most of the news stories that were leading up to the announcement that they all featured Vancouver Canucks. There's the Sedins again, there's the Mm -hmm. Sedins again. And Luongo was on a couple as well. And uh, so I think that part of that is population, number of people who are fans, the amount of buzz out there. So I think the push probably did help. And, and, not only that, the you know the the turnover with the attitude toward Daniel Offertson with the franchise, there's clearly been some level of turnover. Um, I think that uh, that push that they gave to the social media campaign that was helpful, and you can see now you know Anthony LeBlanc is jumping online today and uh, you know tweeting out how proud he is of the of Daniel Offertson, and uh, I just it, it's a total sea change. But as far as the holdup goes, I think I. Without anything better to hold on to, I think that's the biggest thing, that the smaller market has always worked against Alfie. 
I wonder if the Sedins would uh, looked up to Daniel Alfredson at some point in their careers. I mean, he is he is fairly old, a good gap older than them. I wonder if they're going to say something in either of their uh, you know media availabilities today or or even during their speeches that they're going to talk about people like Daniel Alfredson and people like uh, excuse me, but Matt Sundin or you know even a Boreas Salming. Do they go back that far and talk about some of the Swedes, uh, Hedberg and Nielsen, you know, who who paved the way for them to get here? And it wouldn't surprise me if if they do hold Daniel Alfredson in, in a place of esteem. I mean, just the international success that he's had. Uh, Lloyd, had a good take in that everybody draws mostly the NHL resume and so much international stuff that he's done. Like he's, he's appeared for Sweden 14 times, five Olympic appearances. He had a gold medal and a silver medal. Um, just internationally, the things he's done would endear him to guys like the Sedins who would certainly, I, I think there must be at least a seven or eight year age gap there. Mm-hmm. They would certainly look up to a guy like that. So um, yeah, that's a very good point. I'm wondering, you just brought up that the international career. Look at some of the players that get in, some of the quote-unquote internationals that get in, right? And we look at it and go, what the hell is that guy doing here? You know, like, uh, who was the last one? I can't even think now. Vaclav Nedimansky. A very brief NHL at the end of his career when he was older. But his international, just, he gets in on the strength of that international resume. I think just Alfie's international resume stacks up very well against a lot of these uh, guys that maybe we don't know about from some European nations who have a who have a career in Europe. I think just his international resume itself should be strong enough to get him in. And it's interesting that it was, uh, you know, probably it's two full years they're looking at here. It wasn't just a one year of eligibility like they didn't do with the Hockey Hall of Fame last year. So you have basically two full years of candidates that were added to the fray along with all the guys who've been in there for years. And there are still some great candidates in there, like Alex McGilney. Tell me he doesn't deserve a look. Or Roenick or um, Kachuk, Brendan Moore. There's still so many guys in there that, um, you know, would have given, I think, the entire committee pause for thought. But Alfie won out this time. and, And you have to ask yourself that question. Why is that? Why did it happen this particular year? And how do you, again, back to your thought about whether the, the push from social media and, uh, and the team, does that matter one way or the other? We kind of went back and forth on that in a recent episode, and it's certainly the timing looks like the answer is maybe yes, that yeah, maybe it did matter. For sure. Look, I, I'm not positive, but are the Sedins and Luongo not first-year eligible this year? Yeah, all three. So in other words, out of all the players who were first-year eligible last year, none of them got in. Correct, yeah. Wow. Yep. I have another question for you, though. Yep. Okay, you got one game to win. You have to win tonight. Who would you rather have in goal? Uh, Eddie Belfour? Uh, Mike Vernon? Mike Richter? Curtis Joseph? Or Roberto Luongo? All in their prime? Yep. Prime Luongo versus Prime Belfour. Oh, you've, you've narrowed it down to two guys for me now. Well, sorry, because that's the one <laughs> that's I do. I'd take I Prime Belfour. I'd, I'd almost consider all of them. Now I don't get to answer your question at all. What happened? I've got a quiz for you. You've got five choices, multiple choice, <laughs> and you can't answer anything but Ed Belfour. But I was going to answer, ironically enough, Ed Belfour, so... Like, uh, other, than, other than Mike Vernon, I think I would take any of those other guys... 
prime over prime Roberto Luongo. Certainly Belfour, no doubt about that. Maybe the the whole drunken trying to bribe a police officer with a million dollars if he lets him go. I, maybe that plays in, I'm not sure. But certainly as far as goalies go in his prime, he was, you know, he was so good, like really good. And uh, I don't know, maybe that just gets lost in the shuffle with time. I don't know. But uh, Belfour has been there. How many years has he been retired now? 15 anyway, right? 15, oh, yeah. 20? Uh, well, 15 anyway, yeah. Yeah. And no Stanley so, Cups. None of the uh, four players, uh, male players, won a Stanley Cup. It's gotten to the point where it's irrelevant to me in the picture, big picture anyway. Well, just, yeah, it's a bigger league now. <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah. there's way more teams. It's, it's way too hard. It, you can't... Uh, and, and there's, a, there's a real randomness. I mean, take the Tampa Bay Lightning as we transition a little bit here to talk about the Stanley Cup being won last night on Sunday evening. Colorado took down Tampa Bay 2-1 to one in Game 6 to win. And Tampa Bay, though, by the end, they were just so banged up, I think. I think they just ran out of gas. Um, mm-hmm. they've, gone, they've had two, three very, very long seasons and all of them going to the Cup Final. And so I think that was a big factor in there. And that's the one thing you can't predict when – Talking about Stanley Cup victories, so many things have to go well. And as it turned out, it didn't go very well for Tampa Bay because I think there's a lot of guys that were playing hurt through that thing. John Cooper said, if we were playing in the regular season right now, Greg, it would be a case of we'd have half the team right now. Half of the roster mm-hmm. would be on the ice right now, be American Hockey Leaguers. But they all toughed it out, and you just can't keep up with a team like the Colorado Avalanche if you're not being able to put your best foot forward. But uh, So let's get to that. What did you think of Game Six and Colorado taking it all? That was a good hockey game. I, I I wanted to see more, but I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I, I I was really hoping to see more out of out of Tampa, but they're just they're done and they're just exhausted. I'm, I'm watching Anthony Sorelli and thinking, what's he even doing out there? Apparently, he can't even lift his arm. I think yeah. I think Nick Paul and Steven Stamkos took every face off all night long. Uh, Sorelli can't even take a draw. Um, and you, you know you're missing, <clears throat> excuse me, you're missing uh, point. It's obvious that there's something wrong with Kucherov. Uh, it just they, there just wasn't enough gas left in the tank, and not enough healthy bodies for Tampa to pull through with one more one goal win to give us a game seven. So from that sense, it was disappointing. But on the other side of the coin, pretty cool to see uh, somebody else win, right? It's always it's always cool to see somebody else win, and it's been a while for them. And I did you see? Uh, uh, Sean Allard was front and center Valley boy. He's apparently mm-hmm. their skills coach. My God, he was right in there. He's in the box behind Joe all night and then got his kick with the can on the ice and held it up and hooting and hollering. Uh, I think that's about the only local connection there. Is there anybody else? Oh, I don't know. Uh, off the top yeah. of my head. Um, yeah, I'd have to look into that. We'll do some research on that. Yeah. I just but, thought uh, it, was, it was cool to see a, a new team take a cup and, 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 and win it with justification. I mean, right. They didn't backdoor into this. They, they were, they were a favorite to win from almost buck drop in, in October. And they came through and they did it good on them. And it's hard to say it's the better team because we just talked about all of Tampa Bay's yeah. injuries. I'm sure Colorado they're dinged up too, but it just seemed like Tampa was just racked with injuries and, and, and they're defiant. You know, they're saying Steven Samkos is saying we're not done yet. And Stanley cup window is not closed. We all get healthy again. Could be a different series. I thought the power of three was all over everything. On the one hand, you had Tampa trying for the three-peat, but a bunch of other power of three things. It's the third Stanley Cup title in Avalanche history. 
You had Kale McCarr with a trifecta of winning the Cup, the Conn Smythe Trophy as playoff MVP, and the Norris Trophy as NHL top defenseman. And all in the last week, by the way, <laughs> if, if you fire in the Hobie Baker and the Calder Trophy, he's the first guy in the history of the game to win all five of those trophies. Pretty impressive at age 23. You've also got Corey Perry, the dubious distinction oh. of being the first player in NHL history to lose in the cup final in three straight years with three different teams. Now, if he's if he's available to you and you need a Corey Perry type in the offseason, are you signing this guy as a UFA? <laughs> he's a jinx. <laughs> At least in the final. Yeah, but I'm thinking if I'm, if I'm Corey Perry, uh, I'd be very particular about where i'm going to sign he's probably really chasing it now right maybe it's maybe it's time for him to slip down the coast and go down to florida go down go down state (laughs) we were making light of that whole you know losing three straight years with three different teams who's out there you're down by a goal and you've pulled the goalie who's out there at the end by the way not just Corey perry and as he was with montreal last year against tampa bay like it's not the Kajillionaires, it's Corey Perry out there that you have in the final. And you, you know who else was out there after a timeout and everything? Nick Paul. Nick Paul, yeah. With all with all the talent they have, they're down 2-1. They've got the goalie pulled, and Nick Paul is out there. I thought, wow. That really speaks volumes about the value of those types of players. No, they're not dazzling you in goals and assists. They're not going to make too many highlight reels. But those guys matter when it comes to meaningful moments in a game. And, and it speaks a lot to the Tampa Bay Lightning and, and who they are and their their ability to recognize talent and not necessarily goal scoring and high point total talent, but their ability to recognize players who can fit into their system and play hard every night and do a job for them. And Nick Paul, he was he played 20 minutes in an earlier playoff game this year. Yeah. He was a, an integral part of their drive. Now, without the injuries, was he going to play as much as that? I don't know. But he sure, his stock has gone high now, hasn't it? The guy bet on himself, and I'd say he won. Yeah, I'd agree. Pat Maroon is also part of the power of three take. His personal championship run ends at three. He won the past two cups with Tampa and the one before that with St. Louis. But I thought, oh, my God. It didn't seem, he and uh, Nikita Kucherov both had moments in that third period where you go, you know, I appreciate the fire fellas. I, I appreciate the compete level and the care level, but uh, both of them did things that were, I don't know, pretty nasty stuff. Maroon with a baseball style swing on Josh Manson after the winning goal. And then you had at the end of the game, Kucherov, who uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but in the dying seconds, about 25 seconds left in the game, Kucherov has broken his stick. He skates over to the bench and the trainer wasn't ready. I mean, shame on the, the, the equipment guy did not have his stick ready. So he stood there and he basically starts yelling and he throws his gloves at the equipment manager and starts screaming and basically shuts it down. And, and like, that was bizarre to me. I know they, again, the equipment manager is in the wrong there, but that doesn't excuse that kind of behavior. What'd you think of those two incidents? There's being emotionally involved and wearing your heart on your sleeve and, and all those sort of good things about how hard you play and you compete and all that. And then there's uh, a blip. Let's let's call it a blip. Just the, the frustration level, probably the realization that hey, it's over, and uh, and it all came out, and it it's not a good look. The maroon one, I could sort of understand it, but it didn't need to be quite so violent. 
I mean, it was because of the penalty up the ice or Manson. Manson with the penalty that didn't get called that led to the odd man rush that led to the goal. He was frustrated. He, he spent the whole back check flailing his arms at the at the ref. Uh, he was a little ticked. I can understand that. But again, you lose your cool like that. Like the worst thing is you give up a goal and then you take a penalty. You know, he was lucky, but that wouldn't have helped the situation anymore either. What did you think of the tying goal? Obviously, Tampa had a big problem with it. Maybe less so if they've had a chance to look at the video, but I guess they did on the bench as well. And John Cooper was still quite defiant and upset about it. It basically was a case of the Tampa Bay Lightning. uh, They were about to take a penalty, so it's a delayed penalty, and Nick Paul has the puck on his stick, and he just nudges it forward out of his reach. And just as he loses control of it, the arm goes up for a Tampa Bay penalty. No, wait, have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. A Tampa Bay penalty. That's right. That's right. And uh, and the puck is tri- tri- trickling away from Nick Paul. Um, it's Tampa Bay's contention that Nick Paul had possession of the puck when the infraction occurred, and it seems like, you know, the video would seem to bear that out. But you also see in the background the referee throw his hand up after Nick Paul had lost possession and never touched it again. And I guess my question is, what is the rule there? Is it when the arm goes up? or when the infraction actually occurs, because we see the intent to blow the whistle all the time called, isn't there an intent to raise the arm? Then you could assume would be in effect too. Yeah, that was my exact thought when it happened. I said his intention was to call a penalty. And when the infraction occurred, Nick Paul had possession of the pocket, should have been blown down immediately. Uh, I think Tampa had a case there, or at least, I don't know that they had to get quite so dramatic about it, but they did have a case there. And hey, you're playing for your your lives in the Stanley Cup final. It just uh, multiplies the, the the pressure and the scrutiny, and it multiplies also your emotional involvement. So I can understand their point of view, and I'm I'm with you. And my f- first immediate thought, I think Elliot Friedman showed the replay with the ref in the background out at the blue line, putting his arm up after Nick Paul lost control of the puck. And I thought the same thing. His intent was to raise his arm, so he should have just blown it dead. I. I I think back to the Kale McCarr with the, was he offside? Wasn't he offside? Was it Kale McCarr with the offside one? Remember that? Where he uh, he shoved the puck in, but then didn't touch it, right? But oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it was the exact same thing to me. He, if he'd just been a little luckier, he would have got his stick on the puck and it would have been an offside. In this case, Nick Paul just, if he'd been a little luckier and hung on to the puck a little longer, the whistle would have blown and nothing would have happened. I was 50-50 on it because I didn't know the rule. Like, well, you know, if the referee is, you know, when the arm goes up, that's when you start watching for Tampa's possession, or is it when the infraction occurs? I, I, if I was, if I was making the rule, I'd certainly make it for when the actual infraction occurs. So right. it was a, certainly a big goal in the game, and uh, it uh, it tied it, and Colorado would later win it on that play where you saw Maroon hack down Josh Manson. So a couple of other things uh, about the game when it was over. It was Gabriel Landeskog, and uh, by the way, there's another power of three in that there are only three captains who've been captain of their team longer, active guys right now, and that would be pretty good company. Sidney Crosby, mm-hmm. Jonathan Taves, and Alex Ovechkin. He handed the trophy, Gabriel Landeskog did, off to Eric Johnson, and uh, I thought that was an interesting choice, but I guess it's because he's the longest-serving Avalanche player on the team though I don't know he was one of the highest impact guys on the team. Was that, I guess he's known for a couple of years. What did you think of that choice? Because it's always kind of a special one when the captain makes that decision, Mm -hmm. who he hands off to first. Well, if I were a betting man, that's who I would have bet on that he was going to give it to. 
and 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 it, you could see the emotion uh, Johnson displayed. I thought the two best post game on ice interviews were Landis Gog and Johnson. And Johnson was quite reflective on his time there and how long he's been there. And he made the he made the point that you know we were the worst team in the league. Was it like four years ago they finished last? Or five. It, was, it wasn't all that long ago. Five years ago they finished dead last. Um, uh, and he's been there the whole time for 11 years in one city. That doesn't happen too much anymore in the NHL. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought he was going to be the guy. What, what did you didn't think he was going to, what do you think it was going to happen? I don't know what I thought. I, I figured McKinnon would be the guy that would immediately come to mind because, you know, he's been with the organization for quite a long time, though not, lo- not as long as Eric Johnson, but he's been such an impact guy for such a long time. This is a team that, continually has great regular seasons and then loses in the first or second round here over the last four or five years. And, uh, and he just seemed to, he seemed to be a changed man too, Nathan McKinnon, as you go back. So that would have been to answer your question, McKinnon would have been my guy, but you thought about, okay, five years ago, they were the worst team in the NHL and were so by a very large margin. They were 21 points behind the entire league that year. And that off season, the biggest thing that turned around was, Nathan McKinnon, if you look at his stats, just look at that. He'd been in the league at that stage four years. Stats were good, very good. It was it was in that offseason and and into the following season where he became a superstar. And that would be one of the big changes. And not to mention the addition of some really key high-end guys along mm-hmm. the way. Like Miko Rantanen comes into his own first-rounder. Kale McCarr, Bo Byram. So, but, the, but to look back on those five years, there's a neat parallel with the Sens in that five years ago, if you remember, the Sens were conference finalists and Colorado was the worst team in the league. And then they pulled off the Matt Duchesne trade like early the following season. And then they went in unbelievably different directions. The Avs made the playoffs that year, going from 21 points behind the entire league to a playoff team and then made the playoffs every year until they win this year's cup. Meanwhile, the Sens, we all know what they've done in the last five years. Basically, they took Colorado's spot in the basement and they've been junk for the most part in the last five years. So kind of an interesting juxtaposition of two NHL franchises over the last five years. And what do we draw from that? Do we say the Senators are going to turn it around next year? Is this the year? Well, they've done a lot of the same things. They've, they've stockpiled because they got they bottomed yep. out, as Colorado did mostly between, I don't know, 09 and 15, something in there. They bought them out. They have a lot of their own first-round draft picks, and maybe they're ready for their own big turnaround um i don't think that they had the elite of the elites like that like again second overall this is from 2011 to 2019 they had a second overall in landeskog they had mckinnon first overall in 2013 ranton 10th overall in 2015 that's a good pick by the way uh fourth overall for Makar. bo byron fourth overall 2019 and that by the way this is the sens pick uh that came over in the duchene trade so what do i take from it anything's possible if you uh if you do the right thing and, and make the right selections with all these picks and prospects that you accumulate as you bought them out. And they got lucky in there with a, with McKinnon choosing to sign a team friendly contract at one point in mm-hmm. the middle of that stretch. Um, they've drafted very, very well. And then towards the end, they start making the little trade here and the little trade there. They bring in guys like uh, a in this year, uh, Gerard the year before, 
Um, they, they get Darcy Kemper in there, you know, they, they, but they're not making those kinds of trades and going out and shooting for it all in the first or second year. So maybe that's a lesson for Sen fans to realize too, is that it's, it's three or four years down the road. It's, it's when, okay, we're now we're here. We're a consistent, uh, semi-finalist, you know, now's the time to start adding some pieces here and there to augment, uh, the lineup full of all these young kids who've matured. Yep. Yeah, I think if Colorado is in a situation where you can be that far out of it and then be a playoff team the following year, I think uh, certainly the Sens have that possibility as well. They don't have as much ground to make up as Colorado did Yep. Uh, in that turnaround, so anything's possible. And uh, I think everybody likes what you're seeing here, and it feels like with the arena thing, with the Alfie thing today, and with this neat core of young talent, it just feels like a dark cloud is starting to lift from this franchise, so... Uh, I'm feeling good about things for the first time in many, many years. And another factor in terms of Colorado's turnaround, to close it out today, thinking about Jared Bednar. The Patrick Waugh resignation in the middle of the summer of 2016. Bednar might not even be a coach in the NHL for all we know, if not for that. Because Waugh quits at a time when the Avalanche are, you know, caught with their pants down effectively, as any team would be. They, they're in the middle of summer. All the coaching hiring, coaching hiring season is long over. And Patrick Waugh woke up like late August that year in 2016 and decided, I don't feel like you guys share my vision. I don't think I have enough say in hockey decisions. I'm out. Okay. And so they, they were scrambling and they called on Bednar and he was in the Columbus uh, AHL affiliate and won a title there. So that was handy. But uh, who knows what Bednar's future might have been, if not for the volatility of Hall of Famer Patrick Dewey. <laughs> and it's not just the hiring of Bednar, but it's the sticking with him, right? They, yeah. they stuck with him. They're like some of those years when they lost in the playoffs, uh, yeah, a, a different general manager or a different organization might have fired him. Yeah. And you think about that year that I just talked about where they were dead last. That was Bednar's first season. Mm-hmm. At that stage of the game, you know, you might have said, oh, guy's not ready. Not ready for the league. And credit to Joe Sackick for that and a lot of other moves as well. So congrats to the Colorado Avalanche as your 2022 Stanley Cup champions. And congrats to Daniel Offertson, a long overdue honor off to the Hockey Hall of Fame this fall. And that is where we shall call it quits. Don't forget our website is SendsNationHockey.com. Lots of cool stuff there, including your Praise Alfie t-shirts right there for your purchasing pleasure. Um, so check that out sensationhockey.com Greg enjoy your evening and we shall talk to you in our next episode on Wednesday yes sir praise Alfie praise Alfie oh yeah thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast if you're enjoying the show please subscribe and review share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.